said episode 88 three songs pod may 7th 2019 yes indeed i already hear ghost in the background i can tell it's going to be a good show bob nastanovich yes nice nice out mike hogan yeah the weather's the weather's getting better i can feel it um yeah we got a lot to talk about we got uh do a little follow-up on our derby discussion uh, a little interesting derby that we'll get to let's start yeah, we with spent, music um 10 minutes talking about war of will on the last podcast because yeah. we started with the one hole he was in the yeah. one hole yeah we spent 10 minutes talking war of will and i thought that was too long but i guess in the end it wasn't it wasn't because to me <laughs> to me he was a uh he was an like i didn't know what to do with him and if he ran his race i felt like he was a contender um let's play some music and then we'll talk you want to oh start. definitely yeah. yeah but he got a tremendous start um but uh <clears throat> yeah let's start let's go to athens georgia we've been one there of my before. uh familiar podcasting places yeah throughout the history of the podcast that's right and a band i a band i saw many times were fantastic live, very under celebrated band very overlooked band in a lot of ways maybe because they were too lightweight like uh, compared to like Pylon or Barbecue Killers or you know even REM, a lot of you know a lot of celebrated bands from that scene. Love Tractor, who would hit the road all the time. They opened for REM all the time. They were a really fantastic band. Most of the, they were basically like ninety percent instrumental. Hmm. I don't think like any anybody in the band had the too much confidence in their singing ability. Although I think they they actually could sing, but like. They were essentially like uh, when you saw them live, they they were instrumental for the most part, and they kind of fit in the same vein as like um, a lot of great bands at the time. Like they would fit like playing with the Feelies or Yola Tango or you know early '80s action. But like this is from uh, my favorite record of theirs, "Around the Bend," is available on DB Records, great record label out of uh, Atlanta. Around the business is Spin Your Partner by Love, Love Tractor. Highland Sweetheart is what you got. Oh, then play Highland Sweetheart because it's good too. I love them, but I love them all. The whole album's great. Do you, do you want me to do the other one? or? No, no, play Highland Sweetheart. Okay, Highland Probably. Sweetheart. We could double it. I can't remember what I was saying. We could double nah, it? No, no, okay. no. Yeah, play one. Okay, Highland Sweetheart. Here you go.
Highland Sweetheart from Around the Bend. Love Tractor. Did you ever listen to them? I never really did. They're a band that I'd heard of uh, and maybe even heard a song or two of. But for whatever reason, in the in the Athens scene, the bands that I seemed to f- just find, the, the ones that I listened to obviously were R.E.M., Guadalcanal Diary. Uh, Great band. Yeah. Fantastic live band. Um, yeah. yeah, I saw them live a few times. They were really oh, good. Oh, man. Much, much, a, much better live than on record. Um, the records well, they got kind of kind of got done wrong by the right. industry. The records were fine, but live they, they were, were too really tight. Good. Yeah, they were really good, and um, and of course Pylon. Um, but aside from that, I didn't really get into a whole lot. Was Catterwall? Were they from from Athens? Remember them? Yeah, I don't. I don't really know if they're from Athens, but that's uh, Armistead Welford on bass, Mark okay. Klein, Mike Richmond on. Guitar, I believe uh, it might have been the uh, first band, or at least at the same time, like uh, Bill Barry played drums for a while. Although from our, you know, he he's not on that record, but yeah. I uh, like that. That was cool. Actually, play another one for me. Play Fat Birds. Play Fat Fat Birds off the same record. It's fat a short Birds. One. Okay. Uh, yeah, I Fat will, uh, Fat Birds. I'll I'll hit it right now. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that so the the bass is basically playing lead there 
Yeah, Armistead, Armistead Welford. And yeah, and the brilliant. guitar, the guitar sounds like it's almost like if you just focused on on the guitar, it would sound like a ska track, but nothing yeah, else. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, Fat nothing Birds. else on that track. The the drums, just kind of this lazy beat. You know, the bass is doing its own thing. Nothing else sounds like ska, but the guitar is like a ska riff. Very much so. Yeah, I thought that the uh, song title was tremendous. Yeah, Fat Birds. <laughs> I mean, uh, for an instrumental song, it's like that's that what it is to me. It's evocative, like, yeah. You know, like an uh, like an overstuffed bird, like sitting on like a. Uh, you could, you know, on a windowsill, like he's had too much food, like just wants to can't even fly off. And the bass line is almost like you can imagine that fat bird sort of waddling. Yeah, yeah, and, and like you know, tremendous bass player, almost yeah. said. But yeah. I love that band. I, I had the pleasure to see them about a dozen times. You know, because they wow. played Charlottesville a lot, Richmond a lot. You know, and uh, I, I just thought they were fantastic. They were so stylish. Yeah, they were so stylish in the mid nineties. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, the mid '80s. I'm sorry, the mid '80s. Yeah, early, early to mid '80s. They're they're a band that um, I really, for whatever reason, never got into. I think just because I was never exposed to them. I think, I think, I think, yeah, I think because like I think like if you'd seen them live, I don't know how often they they toured a lot, but it was mostly through like you know the region. Well, right, they were. I'm in, sure they would have played New York, but like I don't I don't yeah. I don't know if they were made of the West Coast in their prime. Right, and I was in Southern California, and by the time I think by the time I was of show-going age in the late 80s, they were probably just about wrapped up. Um Yeah, they and, were like a huge college band for yeah. like a uh Charlottesville kid. Yeah. Yeah. So, um I appreciate that. They're they're for whatever reason they're a band that I heard the name but just they never crossed my radar enough to to check them out. So Well, Round the Band is like to me like I think it's their second album. Yeah. Is like that's that's the one. That's the one. Around yeah. the Band. I think it was released on 83 in 83 on 80, DVD. 83. And I'm looking right yeah. now on Discogs, you can you can buy copies pretty cheaply. Vinyl copies there's a mint one. Well, pretty much, that's Europe, so you have to pay Europe shipping. But you know, five yeah, bucks. Yeah, Five bucks plus plus shipping costs. You know. Well, I have my original copy, uh, and yeah. I wore it out. Let's see, uh, I wore it out. Like I, it got you know heavily played during my college years and, and after. So I actually had to buy a new copy about three years ago because like I'd worn out the first copy, nice. which I can only say that about like. Maybe twenty five albums. Yeah. So. Well, good. That's that's a glowing endorsement. So I'll uh, I'll check it out for sure. So great driving album. Great for driving. Let let's let's play some more music, and then we'll talk Derby. Uh, and I'm going to start with a question, Bob. Yeah. Who's the greatest band from Kansas? And 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 more specifically, the greatest band well, from Wichita. From Wichita, Kansas. Oh, Wichita, it's easily the embarrassment. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Same same era, same era as Love Tractor, right? Yeah, same era. I think we're doing a lot of this era. That's we're okay. doing a lot of like uh that's yeah, great. No, it's great. Early like, these 80s. are you know, bands that we've overlooked after our first eighty seven episodes. Yeah, that, it took us eighty eight episodes know, to get to Im- the embarrassment, and that is an embarrassment, I have to say. That's okay. Well, though. I mean, yeah. We'll rectify it by playing two. How about that? Yeah, go for it. All right. Uh, this is I, I like to think of this one as sort of the American version of the Go-Betweens, 
Lee Remick. Um, wow. This is this is Elizabeth Montgomery's face, you know, from Bewitched. Uh, their tribute to Elizabeth Montgomery. Enjoy the embarrassment. Fantastic band. Love these guys. Yes. Here you go. from their first EP, 1981. Uh, yeah, hard to believe. You know what, they were like a... You there? I'm there. Yeah, Kingpin's of... Like, Love Tractor from Athens, like Kingpin's of the early Lawrence scene. Yeah, mid, and like, Midwest. You know, yeah. I mean, like... Uh, you think about, like, great college towns for rock and roll... Lawrence deserves its place. Mm-hmm. And the Embos, come on, man. The Embos. Yeah. I mean, they're like, a they band. were like, uh, they were right there. Like, I, I, are they that known these days? I don't know. Like, I feel like. No, I don't think so. I think probably like around Kansas they are, but like, they're not over celebrated. Yeah. And they should be. I think they're one of the bands, like, uh, I don't know, legacy-wise and just talent-wise and just pure songwriting, they could have been as big as Husker Du, The Replacements, any of these. Yeah, but they're like 
you know, they were like kind of stuck in the Midwest. They were stuck in the Midwest. And they like, were on small labels. You know, they got they did get uh, the Bar None retrospective that came out in the mid nineties. Um, well, yeah, and then they you know members of that went on to Big Dipper, right? Yep, Big Dipper, sure. Yeah, a band that was like I think they're just like uh, I mean, you know, the industry works in, back then. I'm more familiar with it back then, but like they just like you know another great band that slipped slipped through cracks that yeah. the wrong cracks yeah they slipped through the wrong class wrong wrong era wrong place wrong time you know uh i think by the it doesn't time, mean they're not like fantastic you well, know? right it, it, exactly um let's play we never even got to see them like i never got to see oh uh, me neither they were they were before my time um but they were just well, a f- they would have been like in my time but like you know i wouldn't go to lawrence right yeah, no, I wouldn't have either. Even if they were in my time, I wouldn't have gone to Lawrence. I didn't even know Lawrence was cool. I knew <laughs> Athens was cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's do two cars. Do another one. Here you go. Yeah, same, same record. A great song. Yeah, God. Yes, oh. a hip wiggler. Love it that. It must have been so fun to see you live. Oh my God! Yeah, seriously. Like imagine being like a class of '87 and Lawrence. Like you'd been like waiting for the next, the embarrassment show. Well, oh, that was 1981, right there. 19. Yeah, but I'm saying like yeah, yeah, mid '80s. Like if you were like yeah. you know my you know like mid '50s now. Like you're like I'm 51, so like yeah, technically I could have seen them in New York, but like. To me, like in a way, like uh, I'm sure it's completely by accident, but like it's got a little bit of an early built to spill feel. Yeah, I wonder if they were a band that, um, you know, I have uh, no idea. Like, cause I, I don't know anybody from Built to Spill. Like, I, I don't you know, either. Well, well know you, their music taste, but right. 
Great um, band, by the way. Great band. Great band. They are, and, and uh, you know, but I I think the Embarrassment are the kind of band that um, they're maybe not that celebrated outside, uh, you know, at large. But I think they were probably fairly influential, especially in the Midwest. You know, Built to Spill, Boise, Northwest. Maybe they toured, and maybe they they came across. Maybe the embarrassment came across, um, or maybe they didn't. Maybe they just played like St. Louis, and yeah. like uh, Who knows? I don't even know any history of them playing in Des Moines. I don't know. You know? Um, I mean, I know they. Played, I mean, I would know. They played Chicago. They played Columbus. Um, yeah, Chicago for sure. Yeah, yeah. But um, just a really, really, really good band. Really, totally, good band. completely forgotten. Like more forgotten than Love Tractor. You know. You think? Really? Yeah, I think that they're more forgotten than, than the love chart. Than well, love chart yeah. I, I, I will, I'll go out on a limb and I'll say they are as worth remembering as... Well, I'm not saying worth. I'm saying like... Oh, no, I'm no, no. Worth remembering. I'm just saying like... I didn't... I see, it's it's hard for me. I didn't. When you say they, they're more forgotten, it, like I have no perspective because I think of them as being such a great band that I think everybody thinks Yeah, no, that. yeah, but I'm saying like, yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, your, so, your, your vision on uh, early 80s <laughs> punk rock is somewhat warped by your own taste. It's completely yeah. skewed. And like, your, I have your no, own musical experience. I so have no fine, sense, you know? yeah. So, um, but like, you know, maybe if the embarrassment had played in Richmond when I was 17 years old... Uh, I'd love them as much as Love Tractor, but yeah. that's, you know. Yeah, in fact, so. that would have been a tremendous double bill. Yeah. You know? Oh, seriously? They yeah. Would have been... They would have been like, you know, oh. We basically played like two bands that like if you could have seen them in like 82. Yeah. You'd, you know, that would have been a good night out for us, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so anyways, let's talk Kentucky Derby. Yeah. Uh, the, the 145th Kentucky 145th Derby. 145th Kentucky Derby. First the other day, ever. Saturday, yep. right? Which was like May 4th, right? That's right. Yeah. And it had a bit of a controversial ending. It did. Yeah. Maximum security crossed the line in first. That's right. And I think when he crossed the line in first, we all thought he was the winner. I mean, like in the in the minute that followed the race, like we're like, oh wow. Yep. Wow. He fed it off like you know, watching the race in pan the first time it's like wow. He fended off after going like an incredibly fast pace, which he set. Yeah, I believe a forty-six and change half mile. Right. Yep. And then he re-rallied. And, yeah. And then he got a breather on the turn. Right. A bit of a breather. Slowed and, things down. And then, like, then, like, you know, when you're watching the pan, like the head of the stretch, it's like you're looking at a quartet, maybe even like a. A sextet of horses that might run by him, right? And then you're thinking like he's like something he somehow has something left. And then when the smoke clears or the mud clears, he's still length or so in front, and, he, and he's the Derby winner. And he re yeah. It seemed like he was going to get beat. It seemed like on this right after the turn he was going to get beat, and then he re rallied. <laughs> well, definitely code of honor. Yeah, like he was going to beat him. Yeah, and definitely like. And War of Will was making a huge move. Phil Fuller run, who was who was tracking him. Yeah, who was absolutely tracking him. Yep. And Country House on the outside, he appeared to be running some sort of huge race. Yeah. And I mean, I think those are the main three that looked like they would run by him. Right. Agreed. You know? Agreed. But none of them did. None of them did. And none of them did. And uh, like so, 
a minute after the race, like, wow, what a performance. He went a 46-second-half mile and fended all kinds of horses that looked like they were full of run. Yeah. And now he's a derby winner, and all you can do is really tip your cap. Right. And you know what I did right after the race? I was like, okay, I went out. I walked the dog for about two, three minutes. She doesn't need to really. Whoa, what a weird time to walk the dog. I walked the dog because she <laughs> hadn't yeah. she hadn't gone out, so I was like, okay. Ragsy, you humdinger, and then, and then I like I, the way you prioritize your dog. That's right. And then I walk back Mr. in. Because Mister Ghost, even my beloved Mister Ghost, I'd be like, Mister Ghost, you're gonna have to wait. Yeah. No. So it was just like, oh, the you know, maximum security won the derby. Oh, hey, hey, Wit, how you doing? Um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, I I figured maximum security won the derby. I'll go walk the dog. I walk back in. Teddy had turned the TV to like, I don't know, the Loud House or some silly little kid cartoon. Get moved by Teddy. (laughs) What's up with? Um, Yeah. And so I was like, hey, wait a minute. Long range Teddy. Long range Teddy. Long range Teddy. I was like, wait a minute, Teddy. Turn turn it back. Turn it back. I want to see what's going on. He was like, oh, okay. Sorry. I thought I, you know. So I turn it back and I realize there's an inquiry here, um, and there's an inquiry yeah, that goes on. Was not an inquiry. Was or an inquiry. I, that's true. There's an objection. They're looking at the race. There was. They were looking at the yeah, race. They're because, looking at the race. Yeah. Because there was an objection lodged by, as it turned out, two of the jockeys at the time. We didn't realize it was the two, but um, no matter. It, it, even. The fact that any of them lodged an objection meant that the, the stewards had to look at it, and for sure. twenty plus minutes they were reviewing it. And the more, the longer you look, they looked at it, and the longer it went, the more I realized. And especially as I started seeing some of the shots and some of the angles, I started realizing they're going to take this horse down. And it's less a question of whether or not they're taking this horse down and more a question of where they're putting the horse. Like, who he fouled, because the rule says if you foul a horse and you affect their order of finish and and, and you jeopardize their ability to finish a higher placing, the horse that fouls them has to put be put behind the horse that was fouled. So, to me, yeah, no. The reason for the delay was where do you place maximum security? Yeah. So to me, I started realizing that's it wasn't, what people don't realize. It, like, it, where do you place maximum security? Like right. that was the that was like it, it wasn't. You know, keep if. in mind, it's a three million dollar horse race. Right. And I don't know how far back the purse money goes. Okay. So, like they'd figured out at some point that they had to take him down. So yeah, they 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 had to figure out where they're placing him. Are they placing yeah. him? You know, he, ultimately the horse, as I think you and I agree, the horse that probably had the best chance that was jeopardized the most was War of Will. Easily, but he wasn't the only because, horse affected. Like, you know, as a because, I mean, turning for home, War of Will. War of looked, looked very full of run. Right. War of Will was tracking him on the backstretch and on the turn. And at the turn, as is often the case, the jo- the jockey on the horse behind the lead horse angles out, angles towards, right. well, away from the, the ideal split. Right. 
angles out. And so, so as you know, because in, in further for a number of reasons, one, the horse on the lead, they can cut the corner and they can, they can hang closer to the rail. And so you have to go a little bit wider to get the running room. Um, and even if he expected or, or thought there was a possibility that he could get through to the rail, if he dives down to the rail and for whatever reason, the gap doesn't exist, you've got a horse pushing you against the rail. The rail doesn't move. You know, you got a horse pushing you out into other horses. Those horses will move. You won't, you won't fall. Uh, you get pushed into the rail. You go over the rail. Well, that and Code of Honor was already kind of up in there, and he was full of run. Well, Code of, Code of Honor was right, like, pro, prior to Gaffalione, the jockey on War of Will, prior War to him Will. making oh, yeah. the move out, Code of Honor was right behind War of Will. Um, but right. then, then he went inside. Right, then he right. vacated the rail, and, and Code of Honor took it. But um, Right, exactly, yeah. So he gave up on the rail. So it, Code of Honor, you know, who ran a marvelous race... Now I think we I believe he's the Kentucky Derby second officially. Correct. He looked the winner. Yeah, okay. he looked the winner at the quarter pole. He looked the winner, and he ran a marvelous race. And War of Will looked full of run. Right. He looked like he was definitely going to hit the board, if not win. Right. And and the other horse, Country House, looked like he and he was he was kind of he kind of had an ideal trip because he right. was. Essentially, out of the way of the traffic. Yeah, and you know, and although he got brushed, he yeah slightly, he, but he of the of those, he's the one I think that has the least excuse, and he's ironically yeah, exactly. yeah he's he not, ironically yeah. he's the one that benefited because he was elevated from second to first, um, and and that's sort of the unfortunate thing because i feel this i don't know if you agree i feel like there was definitely a foul i feel like oh definitely unquestionably a foul it was very unfortunate and it was at a juncture in the horse race in which they're turning for home yeah and even the celebratory jockey louis saez said yeah. that you know for a second he lost his concentration and he thought it was the crowd yeah then i've heard other analyses that said that you know Keep in mind, the lights were on. Right. It was a muddy track, and, and there's been some talk about reflection off of puddles, which is fair enough. So the bottom line is between the 516th and the quarter pole, approaching the quarter pole, maximum security jinked pretty far to his right. At least two or three paths. Three horse paths. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And unfortunately... He made a fairly heavy impact on whatever War of Will was going to do in the race. Well, not just War of Will. War of Will went into Long Range Toddy. So he hit War of Will, who was moving Long Range Toddy, who was probably at that point, it's hard to say, but maybe was not was was kind of at the verge of tiring but regardless both of those horses were deeply affected and at that point they had no shot um well yeah the important thing was like war of will was full of red long range toddy was up in there because he ran a great race for a mile yeah but he was i i think like if if it had been like a perfectly clean run cleanly run race i think he would have probably backed up anyways but he was still up in there yeah a mile into the race okay 
So he he when when War of Will got hampered, um, his stride was affected, and all chance that he had of a top maybe six to eight finish was yeah. got was right. done. Right. Yeah, he was knocked sideways. Even even if he's tiring, he was knocked completely sideways, and it was like right at that moment his race ended, regardless of whether or not he was going to. Oh finish. yeah, yeah, that's all regardless. Yeah. But like the key factor is like War of Will. Who, who was the most fouled horse in the race. Okay. Unquestionably, the horse that was, like, full of run. Well, I think that's, definitely... that's the horse who, who, of any of them that were fouled, was the most likely potential winner. To, to impact the race. Yeah. 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 He looked the winner. He looked the winner he on did. the turn. I mean, I said he to did. myself, like, wow. Yeah. I know. You know, and I, I watched like the start today and went through. I did uh, start notes today, and um, there was uh, three horses that had horrible starts. Were completely eliminated at the start. Roser uh, completely eliminated his stable mate from the uh, extra winner. gate. Yeah, yeah. Who was the second favorite? Also owned by the West, Scary Mary West. Uh. No, so Roaster eliminated game winner. No, no, g- not game start. winner. Improbable was the the second favorite, or was the okay? So, but whatever. Roaster yeah. eliminated game winner. Yep. Okay, and by my standards, was eliminated by the two horse tax right. at the start. Yeah, completely eliminated, and not eliminated like you could have run some sort of like fighting, but they were ham- like severely. The right. chances were heavily diminished at the start. Okay, the number one horse, War of Will, who at the quarter pole, if you're, and keep in mind, like, we've got this coming in racing. It's it's a big part of racing around the world. We've got this coming uh, betting races in action, you know, live, live betting. Right. In, in running, okay. yep. And, like, if you had a quick computer and you could have bet at the quarter pole in that race, what would you have taken on, on War of Will at the quarter pole? I don't know, but I I just thought that War of Will. I thought, oh my God, that's the one horse. The the one horse is, you know, we talked about how bad the one post is. He got a great. But he, ride. you'll never have a better start from the one hole in the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, exactly. Way. He got a he got a great start out of there. I think partly because tax broke over, like you said, into by my standards, the three horse. Yeah. He he eliminated the three horse, which gave the one horse kind of a clear path. Instead of to track the pace setter, yep, yep, maximum security, yep. It, and it was amazing, actually. It was amazing. Like if you watch War of Will, believe me, War of Will, his athleticism, yeah. He and like it's like I mean he saved the race. He I mean, like, he maybe ran the best race. I mean, aside from, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I th- I think and and for me, why? I mean, I, I think there, I've seen a lot of people online saying, you know, clearly the, the shame of the disqualification was that the best horse finished first and was taken down. But what I don't know is what War of Will would have done had he not been fouled. I'm not completely, exactly. I'm not exactly. convinced one but way or another. Like the, exactly, and that's the that's the key, right? To the to the decision i'm like, not me, convinced like, one way or another yeah it's hard for me to say and and what i do know is that war of will was severely impacted he was fouled 
it's not necessarily the fault of the jockey, but it was by the actions oh, I think of the there's horse. No, like, um, I think there's no no way to blame a jockey yeah. in the race. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, sometimes you can. I think in this case, it's 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 not necessarily the you know what happened, but uh, regardless, one horse fouled the other, and it and eliminated his chances of winning. And I think there's, right. there was a there's a world in which War of Will could have been your Kentucky Derby winner. We just don't know exactly. because he didn't as get a chance to run reads. his race. As yeah. the rule reads, he didn't right. he didn't get a chance to run his race. And because of that, I think I think that the disqualification was merited. The unfortunate part of that is you you have a Kentucky Derby winner in Country House who kind of wins by default. You know, we've talked very little about him because there's not really a whole lot to say. He ran a good race. He didn't really want run a winning race. You know, he's not really someone you feel good about as saying, yeah, there's your Kentucky Derby winner. Because, well, I mean, at the same time, like he was the best of the wide traveling horses. Uh, I, yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, but and he, he, look, he looked his, the winner. His, his stablemate Tacitus finished fourth after third, I think, after all of he this He had a stuff. brutal trip. Had a brutal trip and went wide. He yeah. went much wider. You know, even Game Winner, who we talked about, had a pretty brutal trip, and Game Winner... Brutal. Game Winner was, like, running on the outside rail the whole time. I mean, that was partly why I liked him, is because I noticed how wide he went in the in, in the Santa Anita Derby. Maybe he's just a horse that goes wide all of the time and doesn't save ground and is perpetually taking far like the overland route and you know just has to be not just the best but by far the best in order to win races i don't know i mean like i did i, did, I sent you a text on derby that said that you know if the track comes up wet i'm starting to really like country house yeah i know did you bet him yeah oh yeah i bet him but like i didn't bet him straight mm. you know I didn't bet him on top in the try, so that's I would have had the try. But that's all, you know. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Okay, yeah. I liked see, yeah. I, and I liked Code of Honor, who ended up getting placed second. Code of Honor, you've loved him on the podcast. I did, and he ran a great race. I did, and know? then Tacitus, the the other <clears throat> Bill Mott horse, uh, ran third. I mean, we were we were wrong in our derby analysis, but like it's some, you know, we were also sort of right, but we were definitely wrong in dismissing Country House and whenever. Yeah. Listen to our podcast. Well, <laughs> I I was thinking like uh, I was thinking like you know where did we go wrong? And like I kind of like uh, landed on Country House. I should have put five across on him, but like that's all beside the point. You know, you know where uh, we went wrong. So maybe we were tired and we overdid it. I like, I, I think like, that's where we went wrong with like, Country House, Bob. To be honest, he was the twenty, and by the time we got there, <laughs> we yeah, exactly. Tired. I'm saying like we also do the twenty-one. You know, like. He did the twenty one. The maiden. We didn't know that yeah. high cow would be scratched. We spent five minutes on high cow. Uh, and, right. and even though we like compared him to win, 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 and like whatever, like yeah. we're not like going to be that vain that we review our own derby analysis. But like right. maybe we should do it privately next year. Maybe we should like you know do it privately like via Skype and then siphon it down. But like <laughs> it's like we didn't spend a hell of a lot of time on. It. We spent a hell of a lot of time on this. But I think the bottom line is is that unfortunately. They got it right. They did. Okay. They did. They got it right. As and much it, it's as it's like unfortunate. Yeah. Like, and I, it's, I think like a lot of like, um, I don't really care about the. Uh, actually, really, actually, I really do care about the fans because whatever the fans want to say is like they're entitled to. But like, 
there are a lot of people who make their living in sports, okay, who maybe have to uh, cover horse racing like once or twice or thrice a year, right? And that now they have to cover horse racing. And I think it's like exposed a lot of people that make a living in sports analysis of having no clue as to any aspect of horse racing. And yeah. like, that's like, uh, it's, it's, a shame like yeah. you know look look it's tuesday it's derby week like go ahead and read like and you know spend like an hour like thinking about the kentucky derby because like you don't have to do this again you got the nba you know going on you got the early days of major league baseball you got the nfl draft you guys like whatever like these are guys that make a lot of money and now they got to talk about the derby because the derby's like had a controversial ending like, if Maximum Security just, like, won the Derby and they made it official, they'd be like, oh, Maximum Security won the Derby, like, da-da-da. Like, first of all, one thing, I, like, I only listen to sports radio when I have to, when I've got no other choice. Like, I'm, like, like you know, I drive a, you know, a car that only gets, like, radio. And, like, these guys are never funny. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if I'm ever funny, but, like, even like the really famous guys, like they've never actually done anything. Fu- like nothing's funny. Like it's less funny than like anything. Like it's all like canned laughter, but like it's just like terrifying thing like, to me. Like and that like they expose themselves in a lot of ways to me because like I don't really think that anybody should like have to talk about horse racing. Aside from like Derby Week or like maybe if a horse is going for the Triple Crown, they never have to talk about Breeders' Cup. They never have to talk about a Nabel. They right. never have to talk about like Frankie DeTori. Right. They never have to talk about like, you know, anybody. You know, they never have to talk about like anybody that Matt. They never have to talk about Winks. Winks has never been mentioned no. on like sports radio. No. They never have to talk about like anything that impacts horse racing. It's like horse racing is just like not a part of like sports radio it's an asterisk and it's or it's or it's a focus only for yeah for a couple days around the derby this disqualification is making people talk about it a little bit more well thank god for that like that's that's the good thing about it you know that's the good thing about you know i mean i appreciate that i guess i mean i guess but like if that's what we've come to to and like you know bring it on like these are talking about us you know because we are horse racing people like that's fair you know like you know we've been in it for a long time and like you know who cares really what we think i don't really i like i say this all the time in horse racing i don't really care what i think you know (laughs) to be honest because i I easily because i know horse racing well enough to know that like like, i could easily be wrong minute to minute like i I, like i clock a workout this morning at 6 20 and think like wow, that's going to be a good horse. And that's a horse that could never break its maiden. You know, that's a morning glory. Mm-hmm. Like, you never really know, you know, like, yeah. that's true. I mean, like, so it's like, but it's like part of, it's part of our lives, you know, as, as horse racing people, you know, which, whatever our approach. Right. Okay. Whatever our approach. Okay. And uh, we're not going to talk about it any longer until, well, we'll do a quick, I'll tell you like, I'll tell you this much. Bet on always mining in the Preakness, and let's continue the show. Okay. So we're going to go to, um, we're going to go to, uh, what are we going to do? I can do a rank and file song. Rank and file. You're going to do rank and file by rank and file. Yeah, because, like, think about that era of rock and roll music, right? 
Because that used to be a thing, like, you could probably name some off the top of your head, like, bands that named a song after their band name? Talk Talk. I was thinking about that. Right. Do you have any off the top of your head? Talk Talk. Talk Talk, yeah. All you do to me is Talk Talk. Fantastic. But that was, like, a thing. That was, like, a thing. Yeah, rank and file. Like, yeah, that's gone. Like, I think that's kind of gone. Uh, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to think about it. But yeah, rank and file, talk talk. And for the sure. bands I was in, we would never consider that. Like, <laughs> Pavement never never had a song called Pavement. We actually had a song called Sebado because it sounded too much like Sebado that never made a Pavement song. But uh, you know, you'd have a song like that you didn't name yet that you'd say like, oh, we had a song called Stereo Lab that sounded like you know way too much like Stereo Labs that never made the list or whatever. And you're touring with these bands and stuff, but like Rank and File, Austin, late seventies, early eighties, Alejandro Escovedo, brilliant. He's still out there, fantastic. Yep. yep. And, uh, and of course, he went on to be a magical part of the True Believers, an amazing live band, amazing so, live band. So wait a minute. So Rank and, and File, Rank and File moved to Austin. Is that true? Well, they definitely kind of like made themselves happen in Austin, the same way the embarrassment did in Lawrence. Yeah, but but rank and so rank and file split out of it was Tony Kinman, Chip Kinman from the Dills. They were an LA band, and then I think yeah, they, yeah. and then they moved, I think, to San Francisco. So I thought, I thought, and maybe maybe they eventually moved from San Francisco down to Austin. But I thought the rank rank and file was a San Francisco band. You're probably right. But anyways, play Rank and File by Rank and File.
Thanks a lot. I got a broken heart. That's all I've got. You made me cry. And I cried a lot. Honey, thanks. Thanks a lot. So that's their first record, 1982. Yeah, so, so chronologically, we got that out of order. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's okay, though. That's okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, because, like... I'll throw it back. Like, you're you're referring to San Francisco, like Carlsbad in particular. Okay. Which is how far from San Fran? Mm, I don't know. Hour, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, okay, well, Not the sure. Dills, who you're going to celebrate next. Yeah. The Dills were an L.A. Went, band. But yeah, they the then they moved to San definitely, Francisco, right? Yeah, definitely. They they went to Austin. They formed Rank and File. Okay, but but I thought that so rank we, and, yeah. that first Rank and File record. Maybe they moved back. Maybe they just like went there to record it. I thought the first Rank and File record was recorded in San Francisco. Eighty two. Well, very well could have been, but like I know, I know they cut their teeth in Austin. Okay. And to keep in mind, that's a slice of cowpunk, which is a weird genre. It is a weird genre. The Kim and it's like Brothers. very much overlooked. In fact, you mentioned Guadalcanal Diary. Yeah, they, they definitely they could be called it. In fact, another band you definitely celebrated on the show. Fantastically great band, Texas Instruments. Yeah, yeah, love for Texas. sure. Yeah. We're, you know, we sure. could easily be called cowpunk. Yeah, and uh, so well, there's number of others but the dills the, you're talking about the kimman brothers right the kimman brothers yeah actually carlsbad carlsbad's near san diego so i'm i'm i i don't know what i was thinking of carlsbad's not near san francisco it's carlsbad's near san diego um but uh then they moved to san francisco and the yeah. dills the dills released you know these guys had a good car or a good van. I guess they so. were moving about the country. The, the Dills, the Dills are a band. The, it's it's nice that you played Rank and File because I've been meaning to play the Dills on the show for a while, and they're a band that I think they could have been, they could have been huge, but they didn't really release an LP. They released a couple seven inches in 1977. They released another double seven inch in 1980. Um, but they didn't really put it together and put out a full record, 
you know, there were some live records that came out. There were some collections that came out, but that was well after the fact. That was like in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, and by that point, I think the world had sort of moved on. And I think that they were, their influence as one of the first L.A., San Francisco, whatever, punk bands, I think was was relatively legendary at the time. It's just, it didn't translate to recordings and it didn't translate beyond those shows and that scene, unfortunately. So we have what we have, which is just a few recordings. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, so I'll play one. This is from their second single. This is maybe one of their better known songs, but they're still a band that's a bit forgotten, unfortunately. Um, kind of like the embarrassment. Uh, kind of like, like the band I'm going to play next. Kind of like the band you're going to play next, but this is... Um, this is a different feel, even though it's the same guy. The Kinman brothers, Chip and Tony Kinman, were in the Dills. They later formed Rank and File. Um, this sounds different. It's the same members in some ways, in many ways. Um, Class War by the Dills. Pre-Alejandro. 1977. Classic slice of L.A. punk there. Oh, man, big time, <laughs> big time. Ah, <laughs> uh, just I mean, what a banger! Love, you know? love that band. But amazing, like those guys, those guys went to Austin, mm-hmm. hooked up with Alejandro Escobedo. The, the, song, un- the un- rank and file song, right? Uncle of Sheila E. By the way. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> and they went to. Uh, uh, wow. And they went to uh, make some cow punk. They did. Out there. They did. That's, yeah. 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 So chronologically, we got that way out of order. That's okay. That's all right. Still, still had some well, fun with know, it. At least we're you know somewhat accurate. That's okay. We're doing our best. It's all about the music. Let's stick. Let's stick in L.A. Yeah. Let's stick in okay. L.A. Keep it. Let's go with the Flesh Eaters. All right. Are you a fan? You know, they're another band. It's it's funny. You have this amazing knack of playing these bands that I'm 
only vaguely familiar with. Love Tractor is a perfect example because I'm familiar with a lot of the bands in that scene, but just not them. Same goes with the Flesh Eaters. So, well, let's go to let's go to '81. Same era, and uh, uh, probably my favorite. I don't know. No, it can't be his real name. DJ Bonebreak from from X. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, he Maracas Snare Marimbas. He DJ right? Bonebreak. He he joined X after Billy Zoom. He played guitar. Right, so, exactly, and then you know, of course, Christy. I think he's like, you know, definitely the main guy in this band, The Flesh Eaters. A minute to pray, a second to die. Their second album, right? Okay. 81, L.A. And John Doe, of course, he, you, know, you mentioned the X, of course, John Doe's playing the bass. Yeah. Right? But he's taking kind of more of a backseat. This is not his game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, to, you know, believe me, he's got, like, you know, some serious players with him. Digging My Grave, which is, like, definitely their most famous song. So we're going to play their most famous song, The Flesh Eaters from 1981. All right. Off of a minute, a minute to pray, a second to die.
Flesh Eaters. Wow. <laughs> Flesh Eaters are digging my grave. It's like Chris D, right? Yeah. So he's responsible for, for uh, producing the Days of Wine and Roses. Right. By the by the Dream Syndicate. Chris D. And Chris D. Um, and, and, yeah. and partially responsible for producing Fire Below by the Gun Club. Yeah, I was going to say, Chris yeah. D. is sort of legendary in the la scene um well that was his band that well, was the, his main gig but then Flesh after Eaters. that was the divine horseman right yeah definitely with his uh, with his wife yeah you know yeah julie yeah um yeah it's funny because these he is somebody that i'm familiar with like he's legendary and he crosses paths with a lot of the music that I really like, but I just have never really, you know, and, and the divine horseman put out some records on SST. I'm a huge fan of everything that SST released. They, they did a forced exposure, seven inch, another, you know, label that I absolutely love, but for whatever reason, I just never exposed myself. So thanks for the reminder. Well, welcome aboard. Yeah. yeah. There's a reminder. And they, like, uh, you we know haven't what? even talked about the leaving trains, but the we'll leaving get, the, trains, get to right? them on another show. Good right. band. And uh, you're going to finish the show. I'm going to finish the show. Before I do, I, j- I just want to say that song sort of reminded me almost like a, a an L.A. American version of like, like I don't know, like the Beasts of Bourbon or, or something like Whoa, that. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. It definitely sounds Australian, doesn't it? Yeah, one of those like, not goth, but like kind of dark, moody... Uh, tortured you know birthday party-esque um, yeah definitely i thank god we weren't in la yeah right 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 yeah so all yeah, in I the show everyday of my life like thank you know thank god i'm not in la despite the fact lucy arnell lives there all all in the show with um somebody who is really important but a footnote to rock history um uh, Whoa. I'm talking about a guy named Curtis Knight. Uh, oh, here we go. Are you familiar with Curtis Knight? Oh, yeah. Okay. Curtis Knight passed away in 1999 um, at the age of 70. 
Curtis Knight, of course, is best known for fronting a band that had a guitar player by the name of Jimi Hendrix. And the story goes that, you know, and this was in like Harlem R&B in the mid-60s, story goes that uh, Keith Richards' girlfriend saw Curtis Knight. Which one? I don't know. Uh, Linda Keith, I think. Um, saw like four or five. Yeah, he she saw uh, Curtis Knight with Jimi Hendrix, and I think at the time was probably Jimi didn't really have much money. They weren't successful. He was playing probably some crap guitar, but she convinced him to come to London, and um, from there uh, got him management deal you know got him in front of 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 keith and and helped spawn Jimi hendrix experience and the rest of course as they say is history but um i'm gonna play have you heard much curtis knight stuff with jimmy on guitar no okay i'm gonna play a fun one this is from yeah keep it fun this is this is fun this is um this is strange things uh yeah, uh, I'll just I'll just let it play and, and we can talk after and then wrap it if you'd like. Um, but Perfect, yeah. that'll be fine. Yep. Curtis Knight, Jimi Hendrix on guitar. See if you can hear the brilliance that later became the rock. The cosmic legend. guitarist. Yes, exactly. Here you go. Yeah. Thank you. 
strange things, Bob. Well, I'll tell you what, that Curtis Knight, he cut Jimmy loose, didn't he? <laughs> he did. Yeah, he went, He wasn't editing him. He knew what he had, I think. Um, I don't even know, really. I maybe he, he thought, didn't. like, this guy's like, just cut him loose. Yeah, well, he knew he had something. He probably didn't know exactly what he had, because otherwise um, he probably would have gone to London with him. But uh, Yeah, well, I mean, the guy skipped out, you know. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, right. I mean, I don't know who offered him a flight to London, Jimi Hendrix. I mean, like, uh, but somebody who recognizes all-star capabilities, <laughs> like Curtis, Curtis Knight really, in a lot of ways, got him started. Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, Jimmy played... He, wrote a, he actually wrote, a, like, a pretty famous biography. He did. He did. He sure did. Um, and Jimmy played with the Isley Brothers. I mean, it's not like Curtis was the only one he played with before he got famous, but... Uh, but yeah, it's just a fun little song, and you get to hear the glimpse. No, it's a hell of a song. Yeah, yeah. it's a hell of a song. It's a <laughs> you bit, get to hear the glimpse. It's a bit, it's a bit wicked. What became, uh, you know, obviously a uh, a guitar legend, a rock legend. Well, I don't mean to turn back the pages of uh, podcast history just within the own episode, but uh, you know, Curtis Knight was born. Uh, was he born in Alabama? It's born in Kansas, just like oh, the Bears. Born in Kansas. Oh, yeah. I thought I thought you were. Uh, I'm still were... hosting a trivia quiz. I see. I see. I see. Uh, well, he didn't stay there long. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure he moved on up north, didn't he? Yeah, he did. But they all go to your town. To your town, my man. Yep. He was in. He was in Harlem for a while. Yeah. He ended up going to Netherlands and living in in uh, Europe. Uh, Good where move. He, where he passed away, but uh, Good move. Yeah, well, fun show, Bob. I appreciate yeah, I'll it. I'll talk to you next time. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate your, your uh, derby analysis. Yours too. Could be, couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I think it was, you know, I think we're in agreement. But next time, man. I felt bad for like that Luis Saez kid, Me too. like being on national television for twenty minutes, like. Me you too. Know, yeah. Yeah, and and you know, everybody else involved with the horse, fantastic horse. Like you know, I'd love it if he came back and had a big year maximum security because he ran on some sort of mighty race he did and you know i i had discounted him he proved me wrong i mean he proved he he ran he certainly ran a winning race and you know unfortunately he just clearly fouled a few other horses and um you know that's not uh it's against the rules so so he made a right turn at the wrong time he did he did all right well thanks bob all right love you soon yeah sebado it yeah. Oh, yeah, Sebado next. Yeah. yeah, maybe tomorrow night. Maybe. Yeah. All right. We'll see. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, everyone.